cyberpunk, and clockpunk, blank punk. Hi. <laughs> I don't know. Hi, this is Blank Punk. This is our podcast um, about punk genre, subgenres like steampunk and cyberpunk and clockpunk. And today we're doing diesel punk. And um, I want to say real quick before we get started that um, I was listening to a totally unrelated podcast. It's about RuPaul's Drag Race, the Shade of It All podcast. If you like RuPaul's Drag Race, it's a lot of fun. Um, but I was listening to some random episode, and there was like a guest host on there, and he was talking about, at the beginning, his credentials for talking about drag queens, and it made me realize that I have like, neither of us has any credentials for any of this, like neither of us well, is. I have re- read a metric ton of fantasy and sci-fi novels. Oh plus yeah, playing video games I mean, and movies. Yeah, so we've both like. I think that's about as much credentials as anybody has. Well, I would say like I think there are a lot of people who are in like especially for steampunk, um, but diesel punk as well. You have a lot of people who are like in the scene and they cosplay and they go to conventions and like you know, are very active and, like, make things. Like, yeah, I think ma- makers and cosplayers would be more credentialed. I feel like that's the d- arguing the difference between someone who studies apes at the zoo versus somebody who goes and lives with them. I mean, I yeah. Mean, I mean, yeah, the person so, who goes with lives, lives with them might have a bit more in-depth knowledge, but the person who studies them at the zoo is still also... Yeah. Credential. Well, whether or not we have the right to talk about this stuff, we and are. That's right. We're, I just called gonna... people who cosplay monkeys at a zoo. <laughs> no, but no, we're we're going to talk about this. Um, so I think something that shouldn't need to be said, but we're going to say it anyway. Nazis are bad. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, I think. <laughs> yeah, we're definitely living in an environment where that's all seems to be a little less clear with people for some reason. And the reason that this is important in this episode is is we're doing diesel punk, yeah. which is generally either World War Two or World War One, or um, if you get in between those, like the twenties and thirties, that tends to more be deco punk. So we're gonna say World War One or World War Two or post apocalyptic using diesel technology so like mad max mm-hmm. um but world war Two, i think like world war one with the gas masks is a very iconic uh part of diesel punk aesthetic but generally i think people go to world war Two, mm-hmm. and um and the aesthetic of world war Two. i mean you've got really like the U.S. military was turning it out with, uh, like, recruitment posters and PSAs. Like, we went to, a couple years ago, uh, before his last deployment, we went to the U.S. History Museum. Is that, is it, it's called the Museum of American History, right? I always call it the U.S. History Museum. I I think it's officially called the Museum of American History uh, in D.C., near where we live. And and they were doing, like, a, a World War II uh exhibit and there was so much amazing like there was a cartoon i think it was about stds uh and it had a little like cute cartoon soldier talking about stds and then it i might be totally misremembering it might have been about something completely other than stds but then at the end there was like this sailor who was like the human version of pepe le pew sort of 
like wolf walking after a sexy lady and then the soldier jumps in and goes sorry sailor the army made this picture mm-hmm. and um yeah and so with diesel punk <laughs> it seems like there are three main aesthetics there is the world war ii world war one propaganda and uh you know the bombshell betties that they dr- painted on the side of planes mm-hmm. there's the rebel without a cause motorcycle gang and then there's the germans Right, and so uh, I'm going to go ahead and paraphrase. Oh, I want to say real quick, um, tying back into we're in a period where saying Nazis are bad, like a few years ago I would have said, like, yeah, everybody agrees with that. Like, they're a cliched movie villain for that reason. Um, And now we're in a period where saying Nazis are bad on the internet gets you attacked. And... um, there was a blog post I'd encountered a while back um, about anarchist and anti-fascist uh, diesel punk aesthetics and fashions, and um, I went looking for it in preparation for this episode, and the blog it was on had been made private, um, and the sad thing is that that did not surprise me at all. It was like, obviously, they were going to come for her for the you know and and i contacted the writer and she confirmed that that like she'd had to make the blog private because she was getting attacked um and that sucks (laughs) but she was very kind and actually sent me a copy of the post so we'll get to that later um but yeah so what she says the beginning of the post or like near the beginning of the post is that you've got people who do full-on just like recreate i think it's actually illegal Maybe not to have Nazi memorabilia, but definitely like selling it is illegal, if I recall correctly. There's some weird thing. There's like Nazi a weird thing. Propaganda, but like their paraphernalia. Yeah, but you have people like who will make a straight up Nazi uniform, and that's just like awful. And I don't think you know. And she said, I don't think I should have to explain why that makes me uncomfortable. And I agree. Like we shouldn't have to explain why Nazis are bad. Like if you don't understand that, I just I can't. Like, I don't know where to begin with you. I mean, part of the um, root problem with that is that whole thing of everybody going, you know, the Nazis were bad, but they definitely had the best uniforms. Well, and which so, they did. So but here's. They were still Nazis. Yeah, and I, I read a story on. Um, I found, like, digging around, I saw this. Um, I found a blog called. It was sarcastic. It, this was a repost. This isn't the original author. Um, there's a blog called Jewish Privilege, which is, uh, it's run by Jewish people and they're sort of sarcastically, they're like posting experiences about anti-Semitism and stuff. Um, but there was a great story where somebody was saying, okay, so was it Hugo Boss? Hugo Boss. It was Hugo Boss. You know, they was designing Nazi uniforms and Hitler wanted them to look like really, fa- you know, fashionable. And he thought that suspenders made them look like farmers. So he had the the fashion designers, like Hugo Boss, come up with this elaborate series of hooks to go inside their jackets to hold up their ammo belts so they wouldn't have to wear suspenders. And it looked really sharp when they were standing still, but the problem is that fashion designers are used to 
you know, designing for models who are either holding still in photographs or walking very slowly down a catwalk, not running like soldiers have to do. And so, and so the Nazis would like, you know, have to run and their ammo belts would bounce off the hooks that were inside their jackets and fall down around their legs and trip them. So they might have looked fierce standing still, but those were really stupid uniforms. Um, But yeah, so you have people who will cosplay in straight up Nazi uniforms and you'll have people who wear sort of Nazi inspired uniforms where they have that kind of fascist look and change the, um, and change the, the insignia around like, uh, Mythica von Griffin on the first, uh, season of Skin Wars, which is a body painting reality competition show, uh, showed up wearing what looks exactly like a Nazi officer's uniform, except that she replaced the eagles with those like shitty little octopus things from the craft store. But the octopuses still had eagle wings. <laughs> and so if you're doing something like that, I, I think like uh, the lady who wrote this blog post, um, steampunk Emma Goldman, uh, referred to it as gross, which I think is just, yeah, gross is, is pretty accurate. So Basically, her whole post here is don't don't dress like a Nazi. Don't do it. If you know, here are some unless you are trying to be a villain. I mean, I guess even then it's just I don't know. Like, I don't want to go to a convention and see Nazis walking around or people who look, you know, it's like it's not funny. It's not like it's not like being a snidely whiplash like oh mahaha you're a villain that's so fun like it's not you know there i mean your grandparents I mean, we always have to be prepared to make fun of nazis yes but i think if you're and in if- a situation i think in a movie it's fine but i think if you're in a convention situation and you're just like walking around interacting with people i mean i just i don't know to me i would not want like that would ups- I, I would find that upsetting and just unpleasant I personally feel like as long as you're making it clear that, well, not cle- well, as clear as you can without coming out and just saying it, that you are not romanticizing them. You're like, yo, this is the villain. It's just that I want to be a villain. And <laughs> Nazis are good villains. Yeah. Undeniably, because they were. And yeah, I think I think the danger is just that when somebody is coming to a convention or whatever and that's their character, they can't, and, and you know... Y- if you're not in a movie, if you're not in something with a plot where you're serving as a villain, I think it becomes really easy to... I mean, um, don't they sometimes in those cosplay competitions do little skits? You know, I don't know. And here's here's where it comes around to we don't have that credential yeah. that we don't go to these things. So, you know, I mean, I, I can see that argument. Um, I would go on the record as saying I think it's better if you don't dress like a Nazi. Um I think it's fine as long as you don't try to pretend that you're the hero. I I guess. I don't know. But in any case, um, I mean, you're you're the one descended from, you know, people who narrowly escaped the Holocaust, so. Mm -hmm. Um, But, yeah. So, anyway, this uh, blog post, she talks about um, mostly, I think, um, Spanish anarchist fighters uh, and anti-fascist fighters and they look and going back to like the hugo boss nazi uniform thing you know the nazi uniforms were not made for like scrappy people fighting wherever they could and 
the anti-fascist forces, what's cool about those uniforms and what I think makes them a lot more punk. Like if you're going to talk about the punk aesthetic, you're going to talk about people who are scrappy and people who are like, you know, not going to be worried about getting their boots scuffed. Like they're, they're going to be rolling around in the dirt if they need to. Um, the anti-fascist uniforms or, or even like a lot of times they're not uniforms. Like, um, I think the most iconic image is, and you can look that you can look this up and hang on because my pronunciation is going to be really bad, but it's like le minicier us necessita. I feel like it's like Catalan or something because I speak a little Spanish and it looks weird to me, but it's le minicier us necessitan and it's a recruitment poster for the anarchist militia in Spain and the woman on the poster is so badass looking and she's wearing... um it looks like dark denim or some kind of dark blue fabric overalls with um, with like a white cotton collared shirt and the sleeves rolled up and a leather tool belt. And well, I, it's an ammo belt, but it just like looks like a tool belt. Well, it's very pro worker. It's very pro worker. Like she looks like she was just working in a factory and then was like, oh, my country needs me and popped out of the factory and grabbed a rifle. And that's what I think is really cool. And what's punk is that it's, um, you know, ordinary working people who are, you know, grabbing what they can and doing what they need to do. So, yeah, so I think the anarchist aesthetic there is very cool. It's a very cool option for diesel punk. Um, and there's a lot of that, like a lot of the people in the, um, there are a few that are a little more, like there's a, a chauffeur who's wearing like jodhpurs, but most of them are just wearing like, you know, a lot of women wearing like ordinary cotton dresses and they have rifles. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the problem here that you're encountering here is that when people do dress up for, uh, do the cosplay for dressing up for conventions and stuff is they want to go flashy. Mm-hmm. They want to go very distinctive. And again, this goes back to the Nazis because they were flashy and distinctive yeah. in ways that like a Russian soldier definitely wasn't. Mm-hmm. American soldiers tended not to be. But if we're going to say punk, Hugo Boss is not punk. If we're going to say punk and that scrappiness, like, yeah, obviously you don't want to go you know, you're dressing up in your diesel punk character. You don't want to just be I mean, wearing... I think this goes back to in our first episode trying to define what is punk when it comes to, like, diesel punk or yeah, steampunk. I think or, there needs to be... Because I would argue that all the steampunk stuff that's using Victorian England stuff is not punky at all in that, in that manner. But I think if you look at the difference between... Like, I think a sort of typical steampunk women's outfit she's got her corset on the outside she's wearing uh like her her skirts are hiked up so you can see her stockings and you know they're not going to trip her like it's much like it's something that a woman would be arrested for if she wore that on the street in like 1870s mm-hmm. or whatever but but it you know, so it's that it's that having that scrappiness and that practicality because again, the like if you're a steampunk and you hike your skirts up to show your stockings, it's not just to look cool and sexy, it's also that you can run. Well, and in if, that case I'd definitely say that the punk would would move less towards that image you came up with and more towards the classic greaser look. Well that that um and then you get cause that's a little bit post World War Two. 
I do think diesel punk can extend somewhat into like the early fifties. Well, um, uh, like and, and like the late not, 40s, like the Beatniks and the, you know, that was yeah. like late 40s too. To well, start I'm pretty with. sure the stuff like Rebel Without Cause, that was, uh, no, no. No, that was, no, that was later. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, I think, well, because I was just. Well, then I would extend your definition of diesel punk into the post, into the 1950s. Yeah, and it could be. Um, but I'm also thinking, like, I was just thinking, like, okay, you've got. I mean, leather jackets existed back then. You had, like, you know, fighter pilots with leather jackets. And, like, how awesome would, you know, you've got, like, a simple cotton dress and then a leather jacket and big-ass leather boots and a pilot cap. Like the, something like Sky Captain in the World Yeah, of yeah, that's, like, you know, you got, like, I think, like, a lot of leather, like, leather feels very diesel punk. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, you could, have, you could have that and... Leather and like stainless, more steel than yes. co- than copper and brass. Exactly, like you've got the punk. you've got the more dingy silver colored metals. Yeah, heavy metal. Heavy yeah. metal. Um, right, and there uh, somebody, and I've got this in my notes, which I will pull out at some point. Um, the the goggles and steampunk are like little round goggles for like carefully examining your intricate tiny robot thing that you made whereas in diesel punk they're driving goggles they're flying goggles or welding goggles they're bigger they're wider they're more angled um and yeah i mean i think like a friend of mine's grandmother worked in an airplane factory in world war ii like how badass is that that's badass and like and especially when you consider that a lot of the women who worked on those planes had to fly them out to that's the, that's what she delivered. said that's what she said like her mom her grandmother had to they they everybody who worked on the plane had to be on the plane's maiden flight because it was kind of like a life or death version of the people who make dog food have to eat it it's like if it's gonna you know if you you'd better make it well because you're gonna it's your butt if you didn't um but i think that never heard that dog food thing before yeah, there's there's some pet food company where the workers had to like test taste test. Huh. Yeah, but um, but I think the factory thing is a cool thing to bring in too because it's not just about the fighting and the war and the military aspect of it. You had so many, especially for women during World War Two. You know, you had so many women on the home front now having to come in and fill these factory jobs, and I think the factory girl like the the jumpsuit the welding mask like that's aesthetically cool and it's a cool history to draw on um i'm gonna actually i actually made notes for this episode yeah but not in a way that anybody else can interpret well yeah (laughs) but like i was gonna tell you about stuff and then you can you know tell me what you think about it okay yeah so uh don't don't sit back like that <laughs> okay. Okay. So, um, so going back to the punkettes uh, that I've mentioned before, um, it's a good resource website. So their entry on Dieselpunk um, describes it very pithily as steampunk with internal combustion, and that's really important. And the big leap here is that steampunk, and I talked about this on the steampunk episode. Steampunk is elitist. It just is. It's elitist. Like, everybody's steampunk name is, like, Lady So-and-So, Lord So-and-So, Baron Von Such-and-Such. And, you know, and generally, the realistically, if you were a Victorian who had access to fantastical technology, you would probably be wealthy. Um, 
and it's you know and it, and it's always like doctor you know doctor so and so's I cannot think of names like example names doctor Parnassus's fantastical flying machine copyright <laughs> that's not copy- you know what I mean okay you know doctor yeah. Hil- doctor Hildebrand's fantastical that's, thing that's and- another point for why I would move it up further into the 1950s as well is because that's where that whole uh, thing that's where motorcycle gangs came from they came back they were able to buy cheap surplus motorcycles chop them and make new machines and that's where a lot of the aesthetic of you know you know diesel punk i feel comes from oh yeah no I did. that's a good point i think the period right after world war ii uh can be drawn on um some awkward passive voice right there but um but uh the tech they, they this comes in in the in the punkettes entry um you've got motorcycles and cars you've got uh you you have engine driven um mass transportation you have passenger trains you have subways and not to mention the planes you know the fighting planes and you've got tanks and like guns and guns um but for uh, for a second, I do want to go back to like transportation is a really big thing. I feel like if um, I feel like the transportation technology is the biggest thing in diesel punk, and you know, I think I might have mentioned Mad Max as an example of the post-apocalyptic variety, and Mad Max is all about cars. Obviously, it's all about that that transportation technology, but generally it's accessible to people um you know the people the the kind of characters people come up with for diesel punk are not aristocrats they're not necessarily wealthy um and probably just somebody who works in a garage and like in uh the original uh steel from the from that's dc right yeah dc with superman uh he was just like a mechanic who built himself a suit yeah so it's it's much less elitist it's much more like anybody and and everybody in this world uh has some access you know and obviously you have people who are more into it and more badass than others but it's not like you know it's not only the aviatrix von you know oh my god i'm about to say such and such again i'm so bad at this why um yeah so transit um weapons as you mentioned we've got machine guns we've got fighter planes we've got tanks um and weaponry does and missiles and weaponry does come into it and submarines Mm -hmm. which are also transportation weaponry does come into it a lot more because i think steampunk in addition to being elitist it's not well a lot of the characters are probably going to be like meant to be former soldiers right because you, you can't get around diesel punk being even if it's not specifically set your your whatever your character your world is not specifically in the midst of world war one or world war two that's a big part of it um and so i think weaponry and violence do come into it a lot more you could have like a total steampunk universe or a clock punk universe that you know that that there doesn't need to be war there doesn't need to be weaponry necessarily um but there was a quote from the daily dot which also had a pretty great piece um from this uh 
cosplaying group called the Dragonfly Armory, and they said it is um, the dirtier, grittier, edgier. It's, it's dirtier, grittier, and edgier than steampunk, and they said that everyone has to have weapons, grenades, flamethrowers, guns. Um, <laughs> I thought grenades could be, like, an interesting prop to have it because it's like a grenade is almost it's by definition something you're not going to hold on to uh so it could be like if you made them out of something you're not like gonna miss you're not gonna miss like you could throw them <laughs> it's kind of terrible i feel like you should probably avoid not, throwing not, grenade like <laughs> objects in a crowded room yeah yeah but you know if it was like something agreed upon in advance mm-hmm. um now you're getting into the larp honey no i'm getting into yeah i don't see and we should go to a convention or something and find out what all like do people like how how much of it is larping and how much is just walking around and um but yeah um so really just quickly kind of going through um, and I mentioned that the time period could either be that first part of the 20th century or post-apocalyptic if it got frozen there. Um, the fashion is, you know, obviously going to be a lot of military-inspired um, combat boots, which I'm wearing right now. Uh, not for the episode. I just have combat boots. Um, side note, it's best to not wear any sort of military honor any sort of award that you did not earn because that is known as stolen valor and it's not cool don't do it like like if you're gonna like you know because you could get your butt kicked Mm. honey perspective i mean perspective like as as on how how accurate right like don't walk into some place dressed up like a you know I mean, it would be the wrong look anyways to go and dressed up as a soldier, like mm-hmm. a modern soldier, and nobody's going to believe that somebody our age is a World War II <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think So I wouldn't worry too much about still. If you're about very it. historically Don't accurate... Don't go in wearing a Medal of Honor. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the pinup girl thing could also be a look, um, I think... Like, you might want to toughen it up a little because it is, like, diesel punk. on any of the Rosie the Riveter looks. Oh, yeah. I think the factory girl look is, is a lot cooler than the, like, very polished pinup girl look in yeah. terms of diesel punk. Um, and they mentioned Cuban stockings. Now, I remember... What are Cuban stockings? Those are the ones that have, like, uh, the seam going up the back. Ah. And... I, I think this might have... I think this was in the U.S. and Britain um, was nylon was rationed because it was being used in military equipment and so women would go bare-legged. They wouldn't wear stockings but they wanted to look like they were wearing stockings so they would draw... They'd take like eye pencil and would draw a seam up the back of their legs and that would kind of be a neat historically accurate and also like then you don't have to worry about like your stockings mm-hmm. like having stockings just like draw a line on your leg. Well, I mean, there are plenty of women to get that tattooed on, too. That's true. I have seen that. But, like, you could just do that with eyeliner, and that would be very historically accurate. Um, mentioned the goggles. Uh, pilot caps. Our toddler has a pilot cap. It's adorable. It goes very well with his little flight jacket. 
he does have a little flight jacket. He looks like a tiny little fighter pilot, and it's great. And he um, he has a book. This is not a diesel punk book. This is an adorable children's book by Neil Gaiman called Choose Day, and it's about a little panda who sneezes. And he has a flight cap and that looks just like the one my toddler has. And I tweeted a picture of my toddler wearing his flight cap and reading the book uh, at Neil Gaiman, and Neil Gaiman retweeted it, and it was awesome. And that has nothing to do with anything. I just wanted to brag that my toddler got retweeted by Neil Gaiman. Anywho, um, they mention, the punkettes mention um, social upheaval. You know, you have women working now. It's like, okay, and I think I might have mentioned this in a previous episode, but, like, women have always worked. Like, lower-class women working class women have always had to work but now you've got it's like a normal thing for a quote-unquote like nice girl like a middle class girl to go get a job in a factory um and it's i think like much more women are going and working and it's becoming like a very socially normal thing which is cool um i just had randomly remembered there is a musical and there's a movie of it called On the Town, which is about a bunch of sailors on shore leave in New York. Uh, and I think it's set right, it's like in the early 50s. Um, and there is a character who is a cab driver who got her job driving a cab during the war and then refused to leave. And a lot of women got basically booted out of their jobs when the men came back from war. But this character kept being a cab driver. And that's pretty cool. Um, you... Uh, you're starting to see a lot of uh, movements for civil rights, a lot of people of color uh, fighting for equal rights, and you have anti-fascism. So there's a lot of uh, fighting for social justice, which is cool. And again, like be inspired by that, draw on that. Like You don't have to look at sort of the most stereotypical or, you know, the first images that come to mind, you know? Mm-hmm. And that's what the punkettes had to say. And uh, next to my notes, I literally just wrote Nazi punks fuck off. But I already kind of went into that. And I talked about steampunk Emma Goldman. So thank you to steampunk Emma Goldman for sending me her blog post. Um, again, really cool. Like, look up the Spanish anti-fascist and anarchist militias. Uh, just really fascinating people. Um, La Pachinara. Uh, was a really cool figure that she... I'm, I'm not going to, like, go into too much detail or, like, read her whole blog post, but that was... Um, there were a lot of really amazing people that you don't hear about a lot in sort of the more mainstream narratives. Um, okay. Jumpsuits and heels, I wrote down. Uh, is, is Are we just going to go line by line through your no, notes? No, uh, I'm not used to doing this, but I was like, no, you, you kept saying we need structure, we need we notes. Need st- yeah, okay. Yes. So. Um, Let okay. me ask you, so, going... Yes, ask me a question. Uh, <laughs> what would you consider, like, Hellboy to be diesel punk? I feel like it definitely has that aesthetic. I was about to ask you about something different. I hadn't thought about Hellboy. That's mm-hmm. really cool. Uh, yeah, Hellboy, like, Hellboy himself, I think his look... Oh, well, he got his look from World War II. Yeah, Hellboy himself, and, like, a lot of the people... That was his origin. Yeah, no, I think Hellboy definitely has a lot of diesel punk elements, and that also brings in the fantasy element, which is, like, a different thing, but that's cool. 
And yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of overlap. In yeah, all the there's, different there's a lot of overlap. Genres, and, you so. know, I don't think with any creative endeavor, the you know, you don't want to yeah. look at purity as a goal. Yeah, no. You know, you don't want to, because that, that leads to less interesting stuff. Yeah, and then one thing that when you were talking about, you know, both fashion-wise and technology-wise, one thing that it made me think of was in Batman the Animated Series. Mm-hmm. There was this one character who was a former uh stunt double in movies and she had that very much you know f- old school fighter pilot look where she had the double breasted uh flight jacket short waist high knee high boots and pilot cap and she rode a rocket bike it was like pretty much just a missile with handlebars cool and that's a very in my head that's a very that is diesel point look although hers was very cyber uh, as far as the missile goes, a lot of technology in it, but just the look mm-hmm. was definitely diesel punk to me. Yeah, I think leather jackets um, or I mean, and I have a leather jacket that you got me that I love very, very much. It's like my favorite article of clothing that I own, and uh, I, I think part of why I was so excited about diesel punk is that it's the first, pretty much it's the, it's the first 20th century um, punk, and so you get like, you get to bring in more of these modern elements, which is really fun. Um, so, uh, what I was actually about to ask you that, I oddly enough, was Captain America. Mm. I think, I don't, I wouldn't say Captain America, like, particularly if we're talking about, like, with the movies, the first movie that's actually set during World War II. I wouldn't say that is diesel punk exactly, but I think Captain America in his own time, and Peggy Carter... The like, look they had, like, when he had his... When he had, like, right after started really being Captain America, and he had the helmet with the A on it. Yeah. Like, the, it was just a soldier's helmet with an A on it, and the leather jacket, and the shield. Yeah. Like, and As well as his, you know, 45. And it's World War Two with the something extra that is, you know, in this case, the superheroes, the, the Marvel Universe and the superheroes. But I think... I, I want to talk about Captain America, so maybe I'm shoehorning that in a mm. little. Well, I mean, that does go into the whole uh, super technology that was being that they have in some of the older, older like seri- like Superman and superhero serials, where it, the Nazis it, have giant uh, gas-powered robots and flying machines that are beyond anything. Yeah, and Captain America himself is technology. He's not, you know, there's magic in the Marvel Universe, but Captain America is science. He's the super soldier serum. Mm -hmm. Um, So there are, there's a little collection that I amassed of really neat pieces about Captain America that I just want to share real quick. I'm not going to, like, by any means read all of these or we'd be here for all night, but... um, so the first thing I came to was an article on the Toast from, oh my god, like two and a half years ago now, called A History Lesson from the Captain America Fandom. And long story short, it's saying when people go like, oh, Captain America's not realistic because he's from the 40s and he'd actually be like really racist and sexist. And they're saying, actually, no. Um, and the Toast piece is pretty interesting. Uh, if you if you search History Lesson from the Captain America fandom on the toast. You can find this piece. But what I really appreciated 
was that it linked me to two other pieces, one of which is um, a piece by the writer Steve Atwell. Atwell, I'm probably not saying his name right, called Steve Rogers Isn't Just Any Hero. And it specifically talks about the historical context of who Steve Rogers was growing up. You know, he wasn't just a guy from the 1930s or the 1940s. He grew up in Brooklyn during that period um, in a poor working class immigrant neighborhood. Um, And it makes a really uh, convincing argument that he would have been a uh, exposed to a very multicultural uh, set of people and that he would have been progressive, essentially. Um, and the other one is really fun and maybe a little bit more of a reach, but it's um, it's called Mr. Rogers' Gaberhood. And it's about how Steve... Uh, th- this person actually did their research and found that the place where Steve grew up, canonically was historically a a gay neighborhood it was in a bunch it was among a bunch of gay bars there was a lot of cruising going on and then they go on to posit that you know this very skinny young uh, you know frail young man who would not have been able to do a lot of manual labor but maybe wanted to bring in money for his family (laughs) there were a lot of sailors (laughs) on the docks so maybe a little bit more of a reach but um but i thought those things were interesting and i just wanted to share that. I mean, another part was they're like, oh, his, he would have been racist. Like, he was exceptional. That was part of why he was chosen to be Captain Rogers. That was a big part of who he is. Like, just lumping him in with the average person is a mistake just in general. Yeah, well, and assuming... And, you know, a few of these pieces pointed out that assuming that history always just trends towards more and more and more liberal, more and more and more progressive is not necessarily accurate that things do cycle. And for example, sex ed in the 30s was much more accurate and complete and much less religiously influenced than it is now. And uh, the words under God were not in the Pledge of Allegiance mm-hmm. and but things like that. this is not a history it's, blog. It's, is not, it? it's <laughs> not a history lesson, but, um, but just saying uh, Steve Rogers is amazing and him being cool with women and not racist and things like that are in fact not only historically accurate but awesome and (laughs) you shouldn't feel like you have to be a misogynistic racist bastard to do diesel punk yeah or else and also just that like i think um wanting wanting to you know and this is part of the punking of it is that it's not like you said it's not history it's not you're not doing a historical reenactment as i think about a big big point in diesel punk is actually kind of uh equality because Mm -hmm. a lot of in a lot of them you'll have again i'm gonna go with sky captain the world of tomorrow he encounters female pirates and people from various countries who are all unquestionably his equal or superior and he doesn't go oh you can't beat me you're a woman or oh you can't beat me you're black he's like okay this is just our world everybody's equal because technology has elevated us yeah and it it was a time of of social unrest it was a time of people fighting for rights and i think with any of these punk genres you even if you're doing steampunk you don't need to be afraid to bring modern social issues into play somehow like having you know like having issues that 
you know, maybe like somebody might go, oh, they weren't thinking about that. That's a 21st century thing. But why not? It's punk. And it's if you're taking the aesthetic and the technology or variations on that and then bringing in like maybe, um, you know, trans rights, I think could be really interesting. Now, uh, I think when we do an Adam Punk episode and um, I think a friend of ours linked to a piece about cyberpunk and Adam Punk and uh, transgender and that being seen as like a miraculous technology that was developed shortly after the diesel punk period. So I'm going to save that. I'm going to put a pin in it, Mm -hmm. but generally saying like, don't ever be afraid you're being too progressive is what I'm trying to say. Like, don't be, don't ever think you should be more retrograde. Yeah. Your villain is basically a cartoon Nazi. Feel free to be as pro equal rights as you want. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so a lot of the other notes I have are about uh, media. So, um, well, which we've gotten into a little. We've bit gotten here into already. a little, and actually, I want to come back to that because I do want to say the Daily Dot piece about Diesel Punk is neat. It's like kind of this article explaining to people what Diesel Punk is, um, and they say it's Colt forty fives that shoot transporter beams, uh, brass fighter pilot goggles with Google Glass, um, and. Uh, you know, maybe you could even do like different, um, I don't, I wrote ad idea with timeline and I don't know, I don't know what I meant by that. Mm. Um, but you could have, uh, robots. I already mentioned the, uh, dragonfly armory quote about it being dirtier and grittier and everybody having weapons. Um, and I think something that comes into the Daily Dot piece that comes back to this, you know, social justice issue we're talking about is they said, don't make the mistake, or rather, you know, a lot of people do make the mistake of viewing that era with an unironic idealism. Um, and that it's important in thinking about this stuff and when you're creating stories and making things to remember to include, for instance, the black experience and that there are... Um, and there are sort of sub-movements or sub-subgenres uh, like diesel funk, which is an attempt to correct the whitewashing that can take place in diesel punk. Um, and I mentioned at the beginning, deco punk is more the 20s and 30s, that if you want to get away from the very war-centric aesthetic of World War One and World War Two in diesel punk, that deco punk... So, and I, Batman the Animated Series. Yes, Batman the Animated Series is deco punk. We, we'll do a whole yeah. deco punk episode at some point. And also, this is from the Daily Dot, they had a whole list of, of other things. So we'll need to do a stitch punk episode. I don't even know <laughs> what, what that is. is. That I don't know. We'll find out. Elf punk, desert punk, Tesla punk. I think I can guess what that is. Nano punk. That's very tiny people. Uh-huh. Punks. <laughs> Biopunk. Uh, solar punk's a thing. So visions, yeah. visions of the future. But all right. So um, the media and the art and the entertainment of the Rocketeer. I just thought of that. What's the Rocketeer? The, you don't know what the Rocketeer is? Okay, um, (laughs) (laughs) the Rocketeer is this guy who, this is just post-World War II. He is a pilot of some variety. I think he's like a stunt pilot for Hollywood. Uh, Finds a rocket pack, a, you know, jet pack, 
and it's fuel on, fueled by an amazing fuel date like ethanol or something. Uh, but he goes and starts fight and discovers that it's part of a Nazi plot. So it would be not post World War Two, during World War Two, and he becomes the Rocketeer. He it, he has a his is this pot, a movie? Classic what is it? It's a movie series of comics, an old TV show. Okay. Uh, he has that helmet that's like the bronze helmet with the big goggle eyes oh, and the fin on the back okay yeah okay now um, and he now uses it to fight nazis and uncover a plot by one of hollywood's stars who is uh the er- errol flynn corollary in this oh no. who turns out to be a nazi <laughs> oh, and i think man. errol flynn did turn out to I be a would, nazi didn't did he, he? I yeah don't, i think no so. don't say it. i don't know if it's true or not but, so hang on uh he ends up getting in a fight because they wanted to use these rocket packs to make an army of rocket Nazis, basically. <laughs> and he ends up getting in a fist fight on top of the Hindenburg. Wow. Uh, in the movie. Oh. What? Oh. Oh my God. Okay. No, you're. you're yeah. Wait, so the character wait. in the Rocketeer is. Uh. Well. Okay. Well, he was a spy, and he was thought to be a Nazi. Um, okay, he was alleged to be a Nazi, but then I'm also seeing something that says he spied for the Allies, not the Nazis. Maybe he was a double agent. I don't know. I don't know. I'll have to do more research before we make a definitive stance on Errol Flynn. Um, so getting away from Nazis for a second, because that's always good. Getting away from Nazis is always good. Um, uh, oh, did- this is not a touch screen. I've been poking <laughs> her computer screen trying to get the link to work. Yeah, I've done that too actually um oh yeah yeah no okay i've seen that so search rocketeer and you will see a very cool looking superhero person so disney disney started during this general time period and i think what's really cool another cool thing about diesel punk being sort of the first big 20th century blank punk subgenre is that for the first time you have animation and for the first time you have film and you have i mean obviously there were photographs in the 19th century but you had to like hold still for you know so for the first time you have photographs that can capture a moment that don't have to be posed for so a lot of media um is new in this time period and i think i see a lot of cool stuff i've seen like music videos um there's one for a song called uh i walk away now I feel like I said that wrong. Hang on. It's, uh, hold on. I It's, oh no. There are a bunch of things called that. And there are a bunch of songs called I Walked Away and that's, that's not what it was. It was, hold on. I'm just going to type in some lyrics. My, the lyric is unfortunate. My sister is a whore. I made her think. I'm not saying that neither of my sisters are, are sex workers. Um, oh, now it's porn. Oh, now it's porn. Hold on. I'm trying to find this song just because the... Um, why can't I find this? Because the, the music video is, I think, really neat. Um, it, it's like, I want to say the band... Team William. There we go. Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Internet. Team William is the band, and the song is called You Look Familiar. Oh, the lyric was, my sister is a horse. Way oh, the lyrics, go, my sister is a way horse. Way to make it awful. I heard whore, 
I'm sorry. Okay, so go on YouTube, look up Team William, You Look Familiar, and the music video is done in that like old animation style. Oh, what's that video game? There was a video game that came out like in the last year or two that looks like an old timey like 1930s Betty Boop cartoon. Oh, uh, shoot. I know what you're talking about. The one with the cup, like teacup head, I think it is. Maybe. Yeah, he's going to look that up now. Um, and, and some of the actual uh, original source material, like the Betty Boop cartoon with Cab Calloway as a ghost walrus. What's that? Uh, I almost said Millie Vanilli. Millie the Moocher. Minnie the Moocher. Minnie the Moocher. Yeah, it's Cuphead as well. Cup, Cuphead is the video game. Okay, so if you look up the Betty Boop cartoon, Minnie the Moocher, like... That I find some stuff from back then is like boring to watch now, but Minnie the Moocher is still genuinely entertaining, and that's such a great, perfect example of the animation style from that period. Um, and I, I think there's great potential for a diesel punk stories done in that animation style because it's so unique and it's got this texture to it like with the characters bouncing constantly (laughs) like that you know (laughs) like there's so much potential there um other than that we've got uh movies were screwball i I feel like screwball belongs more to deco punk so let's put a pin in that and talk about that when we do a deco punk episode uh, but film noir is very much 1940s and it ties into it was darker, it was grittier and there were things that were a direct consequence of World War II like the stars were old <laughs> uh, because the young men were, our dog is being weird um, <coughs> hi Fletcher uh, because the young men were off fighting in the war and so you had these leading men who were like in their 40s and uh, getting paired up with 20 year old women which is unfortunately still kind of a trend in hollywood but uh but that the the lead character being not like a young dashing man but this like middle-aged burnt out you know the hard-boiled detective um and what were we talking oh well when we were doing our our myth punk episode we were talking about how um dresden files is both noir and myth punk what can we think of that's both noir and diesel punk because i think there must be a ton of noir and diesel noir, punk. noir and diesel punk like i feel like would you call hellboy like noir influenced no i would no not call it's hellboy it's noir. too it's too actiony like noir is like the action <laughs> is in short bursts um, um <laughs> who framed roger rabbit who framed oh. roger rabbit is definitely noir and it's a like very influenced by the movie oh. chinatown that's our dog making that really bizarre noise. Um, it's influenced by the movie Chinatown, but I don't think it's Diesel Punk no, at all no, because it's just, like. Post, I was just thinking of hard boiled That's more like 50s, 60s. That's communist. Um, yeah, that's. Um, what is. Like, that's weird because it looks like noir is so 40s and Diesel Punk, and yet. Because I feel like the divide there is that Diesel Punk is more on the battlefront. You're, you know, you've got all this weaponry, you've got, you know. Very, I'm sure stuff will come to me at some point, probably when we're done recording. I'm sure. Because Noir, like, in, in a way, it almost seems like there's a big wall because Diesel Punk is on the battlefront and Noir is back home. What's happening with the the old men and the women who aren't, you know, directly engaged in the conflict? Well, Indiana Jones. No. Indiana Jones? No, that's not really Noir. I mean, yeah, Indiana Jones is Noir. But Indiana Jones, well, you got Nazis as bad guys. 
you've got submarines. Uh, submarines. Um, a bullwhip is not a typical diesel punk weapon. I would not but say. But his revolver. But is ah uh, is it? His yeah. It's a Russian like, revolver. Yeah. I feel I don't think of revolvers just because not like you couldn't have yeah, well, a revolver. Yeah, well, you probably picture Luger's more when you think of yeah. diesel punk, but that's again. I feel Nazis. like I, yeah, I feel most like, people used revolvers, or that was when they first started using semi-automatics. Oh yeah, yeah. I guess I I almost think of revolvers as belonging more to noir and diesel punk weaponry as being more flashy, like a big machine gun mm-hmm. uh, and grenades and flamethrowers. Um, hmm. Interesting. So, mu- oh, Diesel Punk also has great music. We were talking in the Steampunk episode about how, like, I feel like there isn't really awesome Steampunk music. I mean, there's there are, like, Steampunk bands, but I don't... It's harder to think of, like, what would Steampunk music be? Because Victorian music was, like, what? Like, music halls, like, okay. Yeah. You start getting into jazz with the Diesel Punk. Yeah, stuff. you've got jazz, you've got swing, you've got big band. And I've gotten really into electro swing. Uh, like, I've listened to electro swing at work, um, that and like trip hop. <laughs> it depends on how much waking up I need. Uh, now, electro swing can be problematic. For example, there is um, a song called Booty Swing by. What is it? Uh, and, um, and it's like a really. It's by pa- Parov Stellar. And I didn't realize, like, I didn't catch what it was saying. At first it was just like, because they, they muffle it too. But it samples, um, yeah. I should do my research ahead of time. Um, it, it samples um, Lil Hardin Armstrong's song, Oriental Swing, which has lyrics that you could probably guess oh. from the fact that it's called Oriental Swing. The Phantom. The Phantom. Okay. That's uh, noir and diesel punk. And superheroes. And I feel superhero. like I feel like superheroes have the potential. Like 1940s superheroes. Mm-hmm. And just like like do I feel like a lot of people th- don't think about doing superhero characters yeah, but with diesel like punk, but you could totally make up an the awesome early Watchmen back before. Yeah, like what like the first generation of Watchmen. Yeah. And uh like yeah, Silk Spectre one and yeah. Shadow uh, well, maybe not yeah. the shadow so much. Yeah, like diesel punk character. There yeah. should be a lot of like superhero diesel punk characters. Mm-hmm. Um, that's well, vigil- masked vigilante. Mass let's, vigilante. Let's say masked vigilante rather than superhero. It's a little different from like yeah, from current day. But that could be really cool too because that's also an excuse to like make up those characters and and be more original with it than if you're having to like. Not that people aren't like super creative to make. Like, for instance, a Blue Beetle costume. But if you're making up your own, you have the potential to be really creative with that. Um, uh, so anyway, with the music, like, a lot of a lot of music back there, back then, like, the lyrics could be really racist against Asians, especially. And I feel like, well, you <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because I remember born. listening to this one song, the 1940s channel on Muzak at work, and there was one song about... Uh, what a great decision it was to drop the first two bombs on Japan, so let's just finish the job. Yeah. And like, that was from the 1940s. There was so much hatred because it wasn't just we're at war with Japanese people, but of course, like, we're at war with the country of Japan, but then it was like, you know, putting Japanese Americans, like, literally American citizens of Japanese descent 
in, you know, in these internment camps, like really America was horrible to Asians and Japanese specifically, but I feel like there was a lot of general anti-Asian sentiment. Um, and that shows up a lot in the music. So I would say if you're putting together your really fun diesel punk playlist, watch out for lyrics that are really racist against Asian people because they show up a lot. Um, I mean, if you want to put, if you want an easy, ready-made uh, diesel punk list, just go to the Fallout music. Fallout, well, Fallout's Adam Punk, as you've pointed yes, out. Yes, they are, but their music selection is based on, is all from the '40s and '50s. Okay, well, I think I think there's uh, diesel punk and Adam Punk, and I definitely want to talk about Fallout in an Adam Punk episode. Um, now, I was going to say Bioshock, and I can't remember. Have you played Bioshock? I've played. Uh, Bioshock Infinite. I haven't okay. played the first Bio- Bioshock. So I am I am not a gamer. I don't play video games at all, um, and I know very little about them. But I do remember, like, Bioshock involves... Is it straight-up time traveling, or is it, like, little, no, like uh, pockets of time no, coming not through even. or something? Uh, what, well, that's Bioshock Infinite. It has kind of uh, tra- uh, interdimensional time <laughs> bubbles I think- where they, you know, some, like, they're famous... Compo- the most famous composer in their community is composing songs based on modern music mm-hmm. that he heard through these bubbles, and he kind of I think, redid them for the time period. I think I'm thinking of Bioshock Infinite then. You because, are definitely thinking of Bioshock okay, Infinite. Okay, because the I original remember. Bioshock takes place in an undersea city of tomorrow that oh. went all... Ah, okay, well, then, yeah, then I'm definitely thinking of, of Bioshock Infinite because there was, like, I think Postmodern Jukebox did a lot of... Um, they did some they, specifically They did for some it. songs for it, including a waltz version of Girls Just Want to Have Fun, which was a lot of fun. Um, and Postmodern Jukebox is really fun because they do a lot of modern songs that we know and love in that... Jazz like, and swing. Swing, jazz. They do, they do like... They claim their various other genres, but a do, lot of time it just ends they, up being kind of swing. Well, they do other genres. They do like country. They'll do different things. But the big... the They're sort of, I think, most prevalent genres are jazz and swing and occasionally like big band. So Postmodern Jukebox is a good... Uh, and, 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 there's and, the, then, um, and then you have that not just uh, historical, but the punk aspect of mushing together yeah. like Nirvana. <laughs> Other group I'm completely blanking on is these sisters, and they do uh, that kind that style of music. Uh, huh? Shoot. Wait, hold on. Ja- like jazz was it? I think it's like jazz. Jazz sisters. Jazz covers of pop songs. Sisters. Thank you, Google. Um, the po- yeah, the Papini sisters. The Papini sisters. All right. So yeah, um, I think eventually someday we're gonna have to like physically go somewhere. We're gonna have to like physically attend events and like make costumes and make props and basically get off our butts, mm-hmm. which will be fun. That's a fun thing. But for today, we're just sitting on our couch and talking smack about movies and yes. swing and swing songs, electro swing. Oh, uh, what's that French cartoon movie about the bicyclist who gets kidnapped? Oh, the triplets of triplets of Belleville. Belleville, the triplets yeah. of Belleville. I don't think that's 
diesel punk. But I'm just probably it? thinking more of the it's music. Bicycles. But the music soundtrack, yeah, the music soundtrack of it, it's a lot of French. I, yeah. There's a lot of really good French music in that style. Um, so yeah, check out the Triplets of Belleville music specifically the soundtrack specifically for for like if you were gonna throw a party or something we don't do that we don't throw parties we should we're old well we're old we have a small apartment and a toddler and a dog who is scared of people yeah all right well i've um i can't think of anything else useful to say right now so do you have anything else useful to say right now the Rocketeer is an underrated movie, and everybody should go look, uh, watch it if they're interested in diesel punk. Cool. All right, and I need to watch Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow because mm-hmm. I've been meaning to for years, and I still haven't. Uh, thank you for joining us, and we'll be back at some point with another episode about something else. Bye. Bye.